Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. Our Hope Restored sermon series continues. Today we take a deeper look at the man named Barabbas. Our scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun. So, please stand if you're able to hear the gospel reading in Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 1 as I will read it for us. As our sermon, as you can see, is about Barabbas. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Normally, I have several points uh, to a sermon, each one different. Today, I have one question to ask in three different ways. Here is the question then I shall ask three different times and answer three different ways. The question is, who is Barabbas? Who is Barabbas? Who is Barabbas? Now I know that sounds boring and repetitive, but hang in there with me. So not surprising, let's start off with the first question. Who is Barabbas? Historically speaking. Now, we don't know a lot about him. It's uh, mainly in the Gospels that we learn about him, not from history books and not really from the rest of the Old Testament. But what the Gospels tell us, we can learn enough for a criminal profile, so to speak. First, from our passage, we learn uh, that Barabbas was part of an insurrection against the Roman Empire, revolution. The Romans had put its insignia, a huge golden eagle, on top of the main entrance of the holy temple. And that was an outrage to the Jews. Rebellion was in the air. A group of Torah students tore down the eagle. King Herod then hunted them down, put them in chains, dragged them to his house, and later then burned them alive. For the Jews and for Jesus, there's only one God. Caesar is not above the true God. Earlier in the Gospels, remember Jesus was asked, should we 
Jews pay taxes to Caesar. And Jesus, so smart, so intelligent, he asked, well, whose image is on the coin? They said Caesar's. And Jesus replied, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when Jesus asked whose image is on the coin, a Jew would find a picture of Tiberius Caesar. But the inscription on the coin was actually Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, meaning Tiberius, king, son of God. It was calling for absolute obedience, allegiance to Caesar because to the Romans, Caesar was their God. So when Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what's God, he meant pay taxes to the Roman Empire, but give your heart and soul to the one true God, the Father of Jesus. Jesus was in peaceful rebellion to the belief that Caesar was God. He demanded our absolute devotion. There is no earthly king or president or celebrity or rock star that should ever have our absolute devotion. That should be reserved for God alone. And for Barabbas, I give him credit, he knew it wasn't right that the Romans had put their political side of allegiance and power on the holy temple's gate's door and the currency. But while Jesus was for peace and forgiveness and grace, Barabbas was for violence. And he murdered someone or some people during an insurrection as he incited people against Rome. And for that, he was arrested. Now, I know that in some of your Bible translations, he's called a thief. But he was not a thief who like went around pickpocketing or going into people's homes and stealing their ancient television set or laptop. If that were the case, the Greek word for Barabbas in this story would have been kleptus, where we get the word kleptomaniac, one who goes around stealing, sometimes compulsively. But in this passage, the word for Barabbas is lastes, which means he is a brigand, a, a member of a gang or a band that goes around and robs people or ambushes them. In Barabbas' case, he is part of a band that goes around fighting the Romans and has murdered people in the rebellion. Sometimes Barabbas gets a bad rap. People say that Barabbas is a guy who went around murdering people, but he's not a, like a serial killer. He was more like an insurrectionist who was fighting a government, much like our Minutemen during the colonial days who were fighting the British soldiers to free our country leading up to 1776. Barabbas was trying to free his country from what he thought the evil Roman Empire. So he was more like, um, uh, what's his name, Francis Marion, a swamp fox, who uh, used guerrilla warfare to fight the British during the wars of independence in the 1700s. So now, hopefully, we're getting more of a feeling why the Jews wanted to free Barabbas on that day. He was fighting for a cause, their cause, the people's cause. He was a revolutionary. He was a well-known freedom fighter. But still, what he did was wrong in the eyes of, of Jesus. Like We should never have violence for violence's sake and, or to return evil with evil. So the fact is, the world societies are often built on Revenge. Uh, we like revenge. Actually, think about it. Most of the popular movies have some kind of revenge factor uh, in it, like payback to bad guy. Pacifism 
turning the other cheek, is not something our society knows by second nature. I mean, Jesus came to overturn the law of revenge and blood killing. He taught against an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So that is to answer the first of our historical question of who is Barabbas. Yes, he was one who killed, who was a freedom fighter, and who always thought violence was the way to go. By the way, as an aside, when Jesus was crucified, we read about how there were two thieves uh, crucified next to him, one on either side. The word for those thieves, again in the Greek, was not kleptus, like a common thief. Because think about this, common thieves were not crucified. Crucifixions for serious crimes. Crucifixion was for greater felonies. No, the word used for the two thieves on the cross near Jesus was the same word for Barabbas, lastes, which means they were probably insurrectionists too. And that's why Barabbas had the possibility of crucifixion because he was a revolutionary against Rome. Now, the second question. Who is Barabbas? As we uncover more details, we find this is like an interesting mystery of the history of Barabbas and Jesus that keeps being unveiled or unraveling. Why and how did their lives intersect at this time and place, especially because we never hear of Barabbas again? Barabbas is Jewish. Historically, the word bar means son of. So Abbas means father. So his name is, hmm, son of the father. Same word Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Abba, father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus used it as Abba, Father God, Barabbas, son of the Father God. Barabbas, son of God, same name as Jesus. To make Barabbas' name even more interesting, if you look at the Bible translations like the New Revised Standard Version or the New International Version or the New English Bible translation, it says this, Matthew twenty-seven seventeen. So when the crowd had gathered, Peter, uh, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who was called the Messiah? Holy smokes. In many translations and even in a historical document by uh, the ancient historian Origen, Barabbas' first name is Jesus. No way, you say. So Barabbas' whole name is Jesus, son of God? Wait a cotton picking minute. The Messiah's name's Christ's name is Jesus, Son of God. So you telling me that Barabbas's real first name is also Jesus, and literally his name is Jesus, Son of Abba? Now this story gets thicker in meaning. There comes a time in our lives when we have to choose between the world's Jesus, Son of God, and the real Messiah, the Christ. Jesus, Son of God. I mean, what a juxtaposition. Both may sound righteous, both may have the title, but only one is the true God, the true Christ. 
And that's what the story was when Pilate said to the crowd before him, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? So friends, that is the question for us. The Jews back then chose Barabbas because they thought the Messiah who was to come would be like Barabbas, a warrior, a powerful fighter who would go against anyone and would hopefully free their country from Roman oppression. They wanted a leader who was powerful and would protect them and would kill for them. Who would want this other Jesus who seemed so silent even before Pilate? who appears so weak when once he said in a sermon, but love your enemies, really? Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Kind to the wicked, really? Where's revenge and payback for all the evil in our lives? The people could say, look at those words of Jesus. What a wimpy God. Did you hear him say that of the Sermon on the Mount? What a softy. Love your enemies, really? Do good to them, lend to them? Be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked? No crazy way. No, kill the wicked. Kill them all. I just finished a book about um, Nazi hunters who spent decades of their life, over their whole life, to hunt down and kill Nazi SS leaders as payback. That's the world's way. Some would say that's the manly way. That maybe for some it's the American way. We want a powerful God who kills our enemies and protects us from all daily pain. We say with the world, you got to be like the world. They're mean, you got to be mean back to them. Forget this turn the other cheek stuff. So friends, the challenge for us is this. Do we try to change the real Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the God, the, the almighty God, the King of Kings, our loving, kind, forgiving, wise Lord, our best friend, and make him more like a worldly Jesus Barabbas? And do we stop believing in him when he doesn't act like a world leader is supposed to? And sometimes our personal belief gets all mixed up, and deep down we want a Barabbas and not a Jesus who is God. I have a friend who desperately wants justice in this world, which is good. But justice for him means that Jesus needs to protect everyone from pain and make all enemies suffer. And because he saw friends suffer from pain and he didn't see Jesus protect them but allowed it instead, because he didn't see justice for all the mean people in the world, he decided to become an atheist. He left the faith. He said, you know what? Jesus doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. For if he, and if he did, he's not a nice God. So he, in essence, would have said that day before Pilate, crucify Jesus Christ, put him away, eliminate him. He is not the real Messiah. I would rather have a political Messiah like Barabbas. And there are times when we would rather follow the ways of the world than follow the true Jesus of the Bible. And here is what we would say in making Jesus 
in our own image. I want a Messiah who makes me rich, who takes away all my pain, where I always will have worldly success. And if the real Jesus doesn't do that, then I will intellectually abandon and crucify him. But we forget those who followed him the most closely in the Bible, that inner circle of the 12 apostles, all of them except one died martyr's death, crucified, boiled in oil, ripped apart, quartered. But we say, no, for me in America, the real Jesus will make me worldly successful, and if he doesn't, then I move on. So just crucify that other one. Make him dead in my life. I would rather follow a Barabbas, a political, a societal leader who uses power and, if needed, revenge or unkindness toward my enemies, and certainly not forgiveness or mercy. I don't want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I want to tell the Spirit what I want him to do. I don't want God's agenda for my day. I would rather use my prayer life to tell him what he needs to do to accomplish my agenda. I don't want to follow his morals. I would rather tell him what my morals are and then he should approve of them. I would rather tell him how I want to spend my money. I don't want him to tell me how I should be so generous. I will tell him what the causes of my life will be. I don't want to be quiet or slow enough to hear what causes he wants me to have. And if Christ butts in and tries to tell me what to do and how to do it and how I must forgive the uncoverable or love the unlovable, make peace with someone I don't get along with, then I would rather not have him in my life. So I join the chorus, crucify him. Get him out of my life. Get Jesus' voice and his stupid ways out of my life because I don't want to change. Now I said I would ask the question, Three times. Who is Barabbas? The first time we talked about the historical Barabbas. The second time we talked about Barabbas who might be interfering with whom we think is the true Messiah, the Son of God. Now here comes the judo flip. I now ask a third time. Who is Barabbas? Who should have been set free that day? Who deserves to die for their sins? Who is not totally innocent? Who often chooses society's ways instead of Christ-like ways in how we do business, how we're involved in entertainment or media, how we relate to other people? Who is the Barabbas in the story? And the crazy answer is, it's you and I. We are the Barabbas in the story. We are guilty of sin for joining the wrong causes and living a life that is not consistent with the will of God. For maybe being violent in the ways we have treated people with our unforgiveness, our lack of empathy, our selfishness, our apathy towards the poor, our compulsiveness with habits that hurt our loved ones or ourselves. We are Barabbas who use the name of Jesus, like I'm Dan Chun, follower of Jesus, but we all fall short. You know, it says in the Bible, in the third chapter in Romans, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short 
of God's glorious standard. And the amazing point of the story is that the Jews crucified the wrong man. Jesus was perfect love, perfect wisdom, so kind, tender with children, loving and gentle, peaceful, peacemaking, forgiving. He was the one without sin in this world, and yet our innocent Lord took our place on the cross, and we should have been the ones on it, because we're the ones of guilty of insurrection for our rebellion against God. From day one, we've been rebels against God, and hence ache for the deep peace we have always wanted, to have strength in the midst of pain and stress. I believe that the depth of our awareness of our sin will always be in direct proportion to our depth of love for God. So the bigger the awareness of our sin, the deeper our love for God will be. Are we aware of our sin and rebellion? You know, confession is good for the soul. I wish, you know, the Catholics have that as a sacrament. We don't have, Protestants don't have that as a sacrament. But that's a big part, I think, of the Christian faith. Confession. To admit we've blown it. I think that is why Mary Magdalene so loved Jesus because she was filled with demons and knows what it's like to be saved. As were all the other people Jesus healed, the the lepers, the blind men, the addicts who couldn't stop drinking or eating or having sex, embezzling tax collectors, wayward adulterers, they were all forgiven by Jesus and they love Jesus deeply, deeply. Only when we know how much we sin how much we have missed the mark, how self-centered or unloving we can be, will we fall so utterly grateful as a foot of the cross, remembering how Jesus took our place, our sin with him on the cross when we Barabbases should have been condemned. Okay, but good news. We're going to end with good news. The good news is the verse is following the one on this, the one I had up earlier from Romans. will restore our hope for to complete it, it says this. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of the glo- God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. We did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and didn't punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Or if I may read this again, but in a paraphrase of the message translation, it says this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ.
God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that word world of sin and having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. So who is Barabbas? The surprise ending of the story, it's we. We who are far from perfect, who rebel against Father God. We were saved by Jesus, and then Jesus went to an execution that should have been ours. He was beaten instead of us. He was blindfolded and punched instead of us. He was whipped instead of us. He was stabbed and then crucified on a cross instead of us. And the tear-provoking, lump-in-the-throat-choking part is that he did it willingly because he loves us so much so that sin would never control us or prevent us from God. And we all could be close to God forever here on earth as the true Barabbas, a son or daughter of God our Father. And that's amazing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, in a moment, we're going to have the sacrament of communion as our servers can now get ready for that. Communion is a sacrament we hold very dear. Baptism is another. And, you know, on Easter morning, we're again offering the opportunity for you or your family to get baptized. And for some today, the realization has maybe come that, oh, wow, I really want to follow the real Jesus, the one who died for me, and I want to commit my life to him, and I want to be baptized. If that is the case, prepare your hearts, talk to your family, or for, um, and, and come Easter weekend, and we're going to give you the opportunity to be baptized in that wonderful, traditional, ancient, yet contemporary sacrament that your sins will be washed away for the true Christ lives in your heart and forgives you. And we'll sprinkle water on your head. We won't immerse you. And um, we'll do that. You know, you may not know this, but in the last four years during Easter when we've done baptisms, 723 people have been baptized on Easter. That's just Easter, not including the rest of the year. But at a time like this, don't think about them. Don't think about the 700. It's about you. You alone and your family. For some of you today, maybe today is a first step to pray and dedicate your life to Christ and then you're ready for baptism come Easter weekend. If that is the case, as, as the servers are getting ready, let's all pray. Lord, there are some here, maybe not many, maybe there's only one person here who says for the first time, I really want to dedicate my life to Christ, the real Christ. And if there are people here, Lord, who are feeling that, may they say this prayer with me right now in the silence of their hearts. Lord, I'm, 
I'm, I'm sorry for what I've done. I realize I have sinned and too often follow the world's ways more than you. Lord, come into my life and I'll follow you. Send your Holy Spirit. Thank you for going to the cross in my place. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. And if anyone has prayed that prayer as eyes are closed and heads are all bowed right now, just raise your hand and I as your friend and pastor will just seal that before the Lord and we'll praise God together. Okay, thank you for those, those hands. You can lower them. And now, Lord, I want to lead some who might want to pray a renewal, a prayer of recommitment. And if they could just follow me in this prayer, in the silence of their hearts, may they just say that, Lord, I do want to rededicate my life to you. And I am sorry for what I've done, and I've realized I've sinned, and at times follow the world's ways more than you. Lord, send your Holy Spirit in a new, fresh way. Fill me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for going to the cross in my place. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. And all of God's people said, amen. If you have prayed that prayer, um, I would love to just pray for you and pray a blessing on you after uh, the service, after the last song, and I'll just meet here in front. I'll have a little gift for you, and one of the, part of the gift is a Bible in One Year uh, program to help you um, increase your spiritual maturity in the faith. And before I give the final uh, benediction, I want to encourage those who desire prayer that our prayer teams will be in front of the choir risers and in front of the cross, and they would love to lift up anything you desire, whether it's a prayer for physical healing or something emotional or spiritual. And then again, um, those who perhaps made a decision today of some kind, either commitment or recommitment, I would love to just pray a short blessing uh, for you here um, just in front of the stage after the last song and uh, give you a little gift also. But for now, uh, let me say a blessing for you all. And again, as I put up my gloved hand, which is a little unusual, but I'm reminded as a metaphor again that as I had surgery and they put, um, use a surgical knife to two incisions, our Lord went much further with nails in his wrist for our sake. And out of that love, may we receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be with you always. And may you always remember the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as we sing this last song, may we praise God that he is our redeemer. He is the Lamb of God who sacrifices life for us. And praise him and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Today we learned a little bit about who and what Barabbas was. And because we're studying the Bible, we learn a little bit about ourselves as well. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. 
Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Ki'ona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prez app, and you can watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, just call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.